Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. In our last episode, we discussed uh, a common but enthralling literary motif in Irish mythology, the triple and the sevenfold eye, three or seven pupils, three or seven irises, found in the eyes of beautiful heroes, divine seers, destructive monsters. Uh, We also discussed the structure and functionality of the human eye and the rare instances in which we actually see double pupils in human eyes. In this episode, we're going to explore more curious eyes from the natural world, as well as more accounts of marvelous eyes from ancient history and literature. But first, a pop culture update. Um, at the end of last episode, we were talking, I spoke briefly about some, some double eyes uh, that I uh, remembered from uh, some movies, album covers, etc. Well, our, uh, our good producer, Seth, provided us with two additional examples of double eyes in popular culture that we didn't think of last time. Uh, number one, the double irises and pupils of Aminette in 2017's The Mummy. This is the Tom Cruise <laughs> mummy film. Oh, boy. Did not see it, but I think this is like the the titular mummy, or at least one of them. I, I think she is the mummy in this film. Um, okay, yeah, I, I haven't seen this one, not even on an airplane. But I, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of crummy mummy movies over the the years, and usually mm-hmm. there's something interesting in them. Yeah, at least sometimes you get an Arnold Vosloo or something. Yeah. 
Uh, and then the, the second example Seth brings up is the album cover to uh, Bubba by Haitian-Canadian musician um, Kay Trinata, featuring the artist with otherworldly blue eyes that have double pupils, double irises. I listened to a track from this album while we were working on notes. It was good. I haven't had a chance yet, but I do love the album cover. It's pretty great. Now, one of the uh, uh, sources that we mentioned in the last uh, episode was um, uh, The Evil Eye in Early Irish Literature and Law. This was uh, published in Celtica 24 uh, back in 2003, uh, and this was by uh, Jacqueline Borsch, and um, the author Fergus Kelly is also cited on this uh, paper because there's like a part one and a part two, but I believe we, we, we're, we dealt with material from part one. Celtica, the journal this is in, is a uh, scholarly journal for Celtic studies out of the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies. So most of this deals, of course, with, with Irish law, Irish traditions, Irish mythology. Um, and uh, and, and uh, d- despite the popularity of this motif of, the, of the, the multiple pupils, multiple irises within Irish tradition, we also encounter discussions um, of this sort of thing in other traditions as well. And Bors um, shares a few of these. Uh, one, the first one uh, uh, comes to us from uh, Pliny the Elder. In The Natural History, Pliny discusses individuals in Africa said to possess, quote, the power of fascination with the eyes and can even kill those on whom they fix their gaze for any length of time, more especially if their look denotes anger. Now, that's your pretty basic uh, evil eye scenario right there. Uh, and you encounter variations of this you know, th- through, throughout the world uh, you know, based on the fact that, yes, you can shoot somebody a really terrible look <laughs> and uh, you, can, you can almost feel it. Of course, going back into the ancient world, the belief was often that it was more than, you know, giving somebody the stink eye produced more than just a bad feeling that it could literally curse them or cause them magical harm. Yes. But the, the neat thing here, where it ties into what we're talking about in these episodes, is uh, Pliny goes on to connect this to multiple pupils. Quote, a still more remarkable circumstance is the fact that these persons have two pupils in each eye. Apollonides says that there are certain females of this description in Scythia who are known as the Bithae, and uh, Philarchus states that a tribe of the Thebe in Pontus and many other persons as well have a double pupil in one eye and in the other, the figure of a horse. Double pupil in one eye, the other, the figure of a horse. Mm-hmm. Now, with passages of this kind, we're often faced with the question, is this based on some distorted or exaggerated retelling of something that somebody actually saw or is it just pure creative imagination or, you know, you know tall tales? And uh, it's always interesting to wonder about the former, but ancient accounts like Pliny's are clearly full of the latter, especially when mm-hmm. telling stories about peoples who live in faraway parts of the globe. You know, this section that we're quoting from Pliny is from, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, there's like one of his books is all about the nations of the world. And <laughs> it's just all these weird stories of like, here's a people who live somewhere far away. And here's this strange thing they do or uh, something that they wear that would be fascinating to to my readers. Like there's one part where he talks about a tribe of people somewhere who do not have heads and instead have eyes in their breasts. Mm-hmm. So uh, it need not be the case that Pliny is necessarily here repeating a misunderstood or exaggerated story about somebody who actually had something like polychoria or some other unusual condition of the pupils. But, uh, of course, it is always possible. Yeah, it does make make you wonder, you know, to what extent 
would there be like you know some account of an individual with this this rare condition, uh, some memory of this rare condition, and then it gets folded into some of these traditions and beliefs uh, at one point or another in their long lives. Yes, uh, though of course it could again just be mm-hmm. something somebody made up, like the people who don't have heads and have eyes in their breasts. Right, right. Like we can dream up individuals with like four arms, and it's pretty interesting, and and we can draw all sorts of uh, meaning from that. But it doesn't mean that that people with four arms ever actually existed. You know that there's any actual biological basis on which that was based. Though I do think it's really interesting that he doesn't just say, okay, they've got two pupils in each eye, but that they've got two pupils in one eye and in the other eye a horse. Yeah, and like my the. First place my mind went was, okay, is it actually shaped like a horse, a distortion that is roughly horse-shaped? Uh, or is it, does it mean that this is like some sort of telephone game, you know, translation game version of a horizontal pupil like one finds in the eye of a horse? That's interesting, and that'll tie into a scientific paper we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, I found an editor's footnote in the uh, Bostock translation of Pliny, which notes, quote, some of the commentators have supposed that Pliny or Philarchus, from whom he borrows, because remember, this isn't an original observation of Pliny's. He's like copying this from some other mm-hmm. writing of this person named Philarchus, but Philarchus, from whom he borrows, uh, whether they were misled by the ambiguity of the Greek term ikos, which signifies either a horse or a tremulous motion of the eye. Mm. But even admitting this to be the case, the wonder is scarcely diminished, for we have the double pupil in one eye, while this supposed tremulous motion is confined to the other. So so if Bostock is correct there, it's that this word had, had a double meaning, and one of them was like a, a, you know, a quivering of the eye. I guess I would assume that's like when somebody's uh, eye is twitching. Uh, but yeah, you wonder, well, why, why is it just that the other eye is twitching when, when the first eye has two pupils in it? That's also strange. Maybe not yeah. as strange as a horse. Um, I was I was looking for answers on this as well, and I, I ran across a 1918 paper titled "The Pupilla Duplex and Other Tokens of an Evil Eye in the Light of Ophthalmology" by Walton Brooks McDaniel. Um, and uh, uh, according to Brooks here, one uh, Doctor Kirby Flower Smith, a professor of Latin in the uh, at uh, John Hopkins University, who had uh, I looked him up, he had died in 1918, uh, interpreted the Pliny passage. Uh, as uh, having some sort of connection to the idea that the affliction of the eye was caused by, quote, a horse-shaped demon. <laughs> Horsehead mask demon. Yeah. Like Daniel also begins to discuss the, the idea that if you, you know, if you look into another eye, you know, certainly with the, the right lighting and so forth, you look into another person's eye, you can see your own reflection. Uh, and so uh, McDaniel mentions that uh, in some traditions, the, that individual you see in the eye is interpreted, you know, not as yourself, but as the signifier of the soul. And that there are even some traditions where if the individual looks in some way inverted, uh, that is because of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And in this, uh, this this is one of those weird situations where then McDaniel mentions something else that leads me back to a source that I'm I'm very familiar with, and yet I totally blanked on this particular detail, or and, or or maybe I, I'd never read this one particular tale. But he ends up referring uh, back to strange tales from a Chinese studio by Pu Song Ling. That's a show favorite, folks. Should we? Do we have a strange tales from a Chinese studio buzzer? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I doubt we do. But at any rate, it's 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 a book that I really enjoy. This is a Qing Dynasty um, 
collection of, of stories that Pu Songling collected and retells. And, you know, there's a lot that's, that's lost in translation um, uh, out of Mandarin, uh, but, it, but they're still remarkable, fun, some, sometimes funny and sometimes just very strange. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all about what they would have meant to the people who read them, but uh, they're a lot of fun. Uh, there's a, a Penguin uh, edition of it, uh, translation that I've, uh, I read again and again over the years, and yet I completely blanked on this one story. Uh, it's called Talking Pupils. I think maybe the reason that I haven't read this one recently is sometimes I'll read these to my son and I'll sort of glance at them. And if it looks like there's something that might be scandalous in it or, mm-hmm. you know, a little dirty, then I'll skip over the, the tale. Uh, oh, there aren't okay. many, but occasionally there's one like that. So anyway, this story, Talking Pupils, concerns the tale of one Feng Dong. Quote, a gentleman of considerable accomplishments while at the same time having a reputation as an unprincipled libertine. Uh-oh. Yeah, so clearly that's why I might have skipped over this in recent years anyway. So Fang was, uh, this is how the story goes. Fang is strolling the countryside and he happens on a fine carriage on the road. Uh, One of the female attendants to the carriage uh, is quite fetching, so he moves in for a closer look. But as he does so, he's able to peek between the curtains of the carriage itself. And he sees a beautiful young woman within and he's captivated. The female attendant is having none of this, though. And she verbally shames him, uh, you know, call, calls him a, a, you know, a weirdo and a, a, you know, a snooper. And uh, not only does she verbally shame him, she reaches down, grabs some dust out of the road, and throws it in Fang's face. Ooh, dirty fighter. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he had it coming. He was up to no good, yeah. and he gets punished for it. So he's, he's initially, you know, trying to get the dust out of his eyes. The, the carriage carries on. When he is able to, to see again, you know, struggling, the carriage is, is completely gone. It's, you know, it's vanished around the bend or whatever. Uh, so he heads, heads on home, but his eyes continue to bother him. So he seeks some help. A friend looks into his eyes, um, and this friend says, yeah, there's a visible film over each of your eyeballs. And meanwhile, tears won't stop flowing. In time, the, the, the film thickens, and a spiraled, what, what is described as a spiral-shaped protuberance begins growing from his right eye, resisting all manner of treatment. Ugh. Eventually, he's completely blind, and you know he's he's distraught over this. Uh, but he hears about a Buddhist sutra known as the Sutra of Light, and it's said to be able to heal eye ailments or ailments of this sort. So he gets a, a sighted friend to read it to him, and he learns it by heart, and he recites it over and over again. And after a while, it gives him solace. Uh, you know, he feels a little better. His sight is not back. But then one day, he begins to hear voices. Two voices, one from each of his eyeballs. Oh, I love this. The eyeballs are talking. Both of them. Well, as it turns out, not the eyeballs, but things within the eyeballs. There's one voice within each eyeball. And they're, they start talking to each other, and they're talking about how dark it is in their homes and how they'd really like to just get outside and go for a stroll. And then so Pu Song Ling uh, says, quote, Then he felt a slight irritation in both nostrils, as if two little creatures were wriggling down his nose. After a while, he felt the creatures return and make their way back up his nostrils and into the eye sockets again. This is anatomically correct because, as we know, the, uh, the uh, tear ducts that drain tears away from the eyes drain into the nasal cavity, which is why your nose runs when you cry. Ah, very good. So uh, what does Fang do at this point? Well, he gets his wife to take him to the old garden, and he has her observe him in the garden to see if anything like this happens again. Maybe the garden will coax whatever it is out of his eyeballs. 
And this is what happens. Quote, it was not long before she saw two little mannequins, neither of them any larger than a bean, emerge from his nose and fly buzzing out of the door. They were soon well out of sight, but were back again in next to no time, flying together up onto his face and in at his nostrils like a pair of homing bees or ants. So is he getting relief when they fly away? I don't think so. No. Oh, okay. It's, it's just, it happens. Okay. And he doesn't know what this is about. So it, it, ha- it keeps happening. It happens again each day for three days. And finally, one of the voices complains that the tunnel uh, that they're using to get out of the eyeball is a bit roundabout. Uh, and there's got to be a better way, right? It's time that they make some sort of proper doorway. So uh, I'm going to read uh, uh, oh. the rest of this here that really gets to the juicy part. I'm just, I'm filled with dread. It's not a good idea when the the tenants in your eyeballs decide to start renovating on their own. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is how it goes. The wall on my side is very thick, replied the right eye. It won't be easy. I'll try to make an opening on my side, said the left eye. Then we can share my door. Presently, Fang thought he felt a scratching and a splitting in his left eye socket. And an instant later, he could see. He could see everything around him with absolute clarity. Beside himself with delight, he promptly informed his wife, who inspected his eyes afresh and found that in the left eye, a minute aperture had appeared in the film, a hole no larger than a cracked peppercorn through which gleamed the black globe of a pupil. By the next morning, the film in the left eye had disappeared altogether. But the strangest thing of all was that on careful inspection, there were now two pupils visible in that eye, and the right eye was still obscured by its spiral-shaped growth. Apparently, both of the two eye mannequins, his talking pupils, had now taken up residence in the left eye. So although Fang was still blind in one eye, he could see better with his one good eye than he had ever done with two. From that day forth, he was a great deal more circumspect in his behavior and acquired an impeccable reputation in the district. Okay, so no more creeping on ladies in carriages. Right. He learned his lesson. He was you know, punished for his creepy behavior, uh, and uh, now he's back and uh, ready to be a good citizen. With one eye that can see better than two. Right, because two pupils. Um, now, th- this again is from the Penguin Classics edition. It's a John Minford translation. And this was super interesting as well. Minford shares this uh, in the notes. Uh, pupils, the traditional Chinese expression for pupil, Tong Rin, means literally man in the pupil from the reflection of oneself that one sees in the eye of another. Wow. Yeah, that was I was really that I was really impressed by that, and I was talking to my wife about it because I I was looking around a little bit after this, and I saw an article about uh, photography and about being able to zoom in on the eye of an individual in a modern photograph and see the reflection potentially of the photographer. And oh uh, yeah. yeah, because of the high resolution, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I was asking my wife about this, and she pointed out that. One thing that photographers can do is you can pull up, say, a headshot that another photographer has done. You can zoom in on the eye, and you can see what their lighting setup is. (laughs) (laughs) So I I was impressed by that as well. I'm impressed. That's a real James Bond-level trick. I do not know what to make of the spiral growth, though. Um, I looked around briefly on that, and I I, I was not able to find any answers that seemed uh, convincing. I have no expertise on, uh, on spiral growths from eyes. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. 
Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. 
And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, I want to go back to Borsch uh, for just a minute here because um, she has a couple of other examples that she brings up. Uh, one, uh, apparently, uh, Ptolemaeus Chinos, um, uh, this would have been a figure from the um, late 1st, early 2nd century CE, uh, once described a beautiful woman as being, quote, with a double pupil. Okay, and in the last episode, we, we talked about some legends uh, in which a character with multiple pupils, the, this was assumed to be a marker of beauty. Right. So this is interesting because it, it seems to suggest that this is not just isolated within Irish literary uh, traditions, that uh, perhaps somewhere else in the world there was this idea that uh, double pupil equals beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I mean, who am I to say it, it's not beautiful? Uh, you know, it's not like you look at images of, of, of actual uh, double pupil situations and you're not you know, horrified by them or anything. No more so than if you, you know, look at a super close-up of, uh, of, of any human eyeball. Bors also mentions that uh, Ovid uh, portrays a woman with double pupils having the evil eye at one point. So uh, tying back into the evil eye tradition. But anyway, uh, Bors concludes, quote, to conclude this section, both angry eyes and eyes with multiple pupils have been connected with the concept of the evil eye. There is no strict identity between the phenomena. Multiple pupils can also be a sign of beauty, sharp sight and clairvoyance. Okay, so we're not really converging on a unity of theme here. It's a, if you're in an Irish legend or myth and you have a character with multiple pupils in one eye, it seems they could either be somebody who has a lot of insight, somebody who can see very far away, somebody who can see the future, somebody who is beautiful, or somebody who is monstrous or can do curses. And you know, there is this idea, too, that it's, it's part of like the supernatural body, that when you have uh, some sort of a demigod figure, it's the human body, um, it's almost like it mutates with the divinity within it. Like, the, like the, the, human, the normal human body cannot contain this level of power, and therefore extra things are going to happen, you know, uh, extra pupils, extra fingers, that sort of thing. And this ties directly into another example I found, and this one comes from Chinese traditions as well. Uh, This is from the 1967 book, Chinese Civilization and Bureaucracy, Variations on a Theme, by Hungarian-born French sinologist Etienne Belaz. Working with uh, uh, working from an, another source as well, essay on the extinction of the soul by Fan Xin, a Chinese philosopher and writer who lived uh, 450 through 515 CE. The subject here, as far as eyes are concerned, is one of the legendary sage rulers of antiquity in China. This would concern a time during the third millennium BCE. And so the, the structure of this paper seems to concern like uh, questions and answers. And so first we have this question. The body of the sage is similar to the body of ordinary men, yet there is a difference by which the sage is distinguished from ordinary men. From this it can be inferred that body and soul are different. Answer, not at all. Pure gold glitters and unwashed gold does not. 
pure gold that glitters surely cannot be made of the same unglittering material as that of unwashed gold. How much less, then, can the soul of a sage be lodged in a vessel such as the ordinary man? Nor would it be possible for the soul of an ordinary man to dwell in the body of a sage. Therefore, Feng Sun is, de- is depicted as having eyebrows of eight colors, and Zong Huo's eyes with double pupils, Xin Yan as having the face of a dragon, and Tai Hao the mouth of a horse, all of which are outward bodily signs of their exceptional nature. All the seven openings were found in the heart of Pai Kan. The gallbladder of Po Yu was as big as a fist, which shows that their inner organs were unusual. Thus we know that certain parts of the bodies of sages are quite out of the ordinary, and that sages are not only superior to ordinary human beings, but also surpass all other creatures in bodily form. That's just science. <laughs> I, I, I love this passage so much. I mean, I love that it's basically an autopsy of um, of supernatural sages like uh-huh. determining how they're their but like you can imagine the scene in a movie oh yeah this is beautiful the gallbladder as big as a fist uh showing that the inner organs are unusual this is great and you know and this is not this is not a totally unique view of the the body of the holy person or the saint i mean mm-hmm. I, uh you know we, there are tons of traditions all around the world uh including like the idea that that certain types of saints or holy people because of their spiritual nature their bodies would be found to be say incorruptible like they don't rot the way most bodies do yeah so uh, but belays adds some notes on this and points out that the legends about the eyebrows of eight colors uh, and the eyes with double pupils these come from uh, han times and are contained in a number of different works uh, so yet another example of um, of, uh, of of exceptional eyes in uh, the bodies of exceptional you know heroic mythic individuals. Now in the last episode we talked a bit about human eye anatomy and some uh, medical literature on polychoria or the condition of having multiple pupils within the same eye. Uh, but I thought in this episode it would be a good idea to turn to pupils of the the animal kingdom more broadly because uh, there's a lot we can learn about the function of pupils by looking at the pupils of non-human animals. That's right. I mean, just consider the the vast diversity we have in the animal world. Uh, and I mean, even just dealing with the, the vertebrate world, it's pretty remarkable, not even getting into compound eyes of flies and so forth. But uh, consider humans, we have round pupils. House cats have vertical slits. Tigers have round pupils. Goats and horses, horizontal. Dolphins have crescents. Cuttlefish have W-shaped pupils, some frogs have heart-shaped pupils, and geckos have these sort of what look like pinholes arranged in a vertical line. I always love a good crocodile pupil. Oh, yes. Tend to be rather vertical. Yeah, and it's also, it's a window into the crocodile soul. But seeing all this different diversity does raise some questions because you think, okay, well, you know, the bodies of animals are shaped by their environment. You know, that's what evolution does. It tends to to give you the equipment that best helps you do whatever you need to do within your ecological niche. So why do different animals have different pupils? How, How do differently shaped or sized pupils help an animal adapt to how it's supposed to survive in the world? Yeah, according to Martin Banks, a vision scientist at the University of California that uh, was cited in a 2015 NPR story, Eye Shapes of the Animal World Hint at Differences in Our Lifestyles, land animals of sufficient height 
tend to have round pupils. Thus, you have big cats that have round pupils. Meanwhile, your uh, your small house cat cat has vertical pupils. Verticals are more the domain, it seems, of smaller ambush predators, giving them an excellent ability at judging distances, uh, which, of course, is going to be super important when you're pouncing out of the shadows and trying to, uh, you know, uh, capture a, like a small rodent or your owner's foot. Horizontal pupils, on the other hand, are widely understood as a means of keeping a, a wider swath of the surroundings in sight while you're grazing um, and, uh, you know, an expanded field of view. So you could think of this as the, the panoramic potential prey view of the world. Right. So I was actually looking into this. Uh, the paper that uh, Banks is connected with is one that was published in 2015 in Science Advances, and it's by Martin Banks, William Sprague, uh, Jurgen Schmall, Jared Parnell, and Gordon Love. And it's called Why Do Animal Eyes Have Pupils of Different Shapes? And what you say is correct. They looked into this question and they found, yeah, there are some very strong correlations between how an animal survives and what shape its pupils are, at least among land vertebrates. And so you tend to have, like you're saying, horizontal pupils if you are a uh, a herbivore, whereas ambush predators, predators that sit around and wait for their prey, they tend to have vertical slits, especially if they're active at, in both uh, daytime and nighttime. And meanwhile, active predators, predators that uh, hunt and chase down their prey instead of sitting and waiting, they are more likely to have round uh, or circular pupils. And this is not a coincidence. The authors found some pretty good reasons why the uh, pupils would be allotted in these ways. So first of all, you would have to wonder, how does it work this way? Like, why would vertical pupils be useful if you were an ambush predator, uh, especially, uh, as you were saying, an ambush predator of low height? Because height matters. So uh, if you're, you're an active predator chasing down prey, you likely have round pupils. Or if you're an ambush predator that is taller you probably have round pupils. Vertical slits are what you're really likely to see if you're a sit-and-wait, jump-out predator, and you're close to the ground. Uh, so I want to read a section from this paper, uh, and there's a couple bits of terminology to understand the quote I'm about to read. It'll use the term stereopsis. Stereopsis is depth perception that is created by comparing the difference between what is seen by two different eyes focusing on the same image. So we use stereopsis to, uh, to judge depth when we, when we look at an image by the brain says, okay, we've got two different data points of the eyes and it compares them together and gives you this 3d, uh, image with depth. But then the other term is defocus blur. Uh, this refers to the blurriness in objects that are either close or farther away, uh, closer or farther away than you're focusing. So the authors of this paper write, quote, vertically elongated pupils create astigmatic depth of field such that images of vertical contours nearer or farther than the distance to which the eye is focused are sharp, whereas images of horizontal contours at different distances are blurred. This is advantageous for ambush predators to use stereopsis to estimate distances of vertical contours and defocus blur to estimate distances of horizontal contours. So, Rob, if you'll scroll down a bit in the notes here, I attached a picture that they, they put in the paper to simulate what it looks like to a creature that's 
gazing out at the world mm-hmm. with vertical slit pupils. Uh, and it's very interesting. So they, they've got a picture with a toy bird sitting on the ground, uh, presumably a, a foot or two ahead of where the camera is positioned. And then there's some objects in the foreground and in the background. And what you'll notice about this picture is that um, the the bird is very much in tight focus, but then for objects around it, there is uh, there is an uneven amount of blurriness in the vertical and horizontal directions. So, like, there's a plant stalk that's poking right up in the foreground, mm-hmm. and its shape is fairly in focus when you're looking at it uh, height wise. You know, like the stalk mm-hmm. is is sort of it was sort of blurry, but sort of in focus. But things in the the horizontal direction, like the uh, the the top of the pot that the plant is sitting in, are very blurry. And apparently, it allows these animals to use both the 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 stereopsis, the the comparing the two different eyes, if the animal has two front facing eyes, and the way that images are blurred when they're at different levels of uh, distance from the object in focus to judge depth very well. Hmm. So you can really nail that bird when you jump. <laughs> So sorry if that was a little complicated, but it took me a while to understand. I was trying to figure out like why the vertical slits actually help with the hunting. But yeah, I, I think it makes sense if you, uh, especially if you look up the picture, you can see like, oh, okay, this is, yeah, this is for an animal that is precisely trying to target a, a jump at something. Yeah. And you've got one shot at, at pulling it off. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. 
If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But there was another thing noted in this paper that I thought was really interesting, and this was actually just in the introduction, but it was about advantages of slit-shaped pupils over round ones in general. So we were just talking about uh, vertical pupils for, for low to the ground ambush predators, but slit pupils in general can be advantageous because they allow for much greater changes in the area of the pupil and thus greater variation in the light conditions they can adapt to. So you got a human pupil to, to constrict a round human pupil like ours, you need that ring shaped sphincter muscle that we talked about uh, at length uh, in the last episode. But to close a slit pupil, it uses two muscles that close the sides of the slit together. And as a result of these morphological differences, there, there is a different amount that you can increase or, uh, or decrease the, the area of the pupil and, and the amount of light that it can pull in. So to read from the paper, quote, the vertical slit pupils of the domestic cat and gecko undergo area changes of 135 and 300 fold, respectively, whereas human circular pupil changes by about 15 fold. Oh, wow. Species, yeah, species that are active in night and day need to dilate sufficiently under dim conditions while constricting enough to prevent dazzle in daylight. So a slit pupil provides the required dynamic range. So this is why a slit pupil is good. It's great for high dynamic range for an eye that works great in both bright daylight and in pitch dark. Mm, and, uh, you know, I can't help but think with smaller predators as well. I mean, these are generally going to be creatures that are not only predator, uh, but prey as well. So it's not like they can just 
hold up uh, you know, all day. I mean, they, they may try to hold up all day, but they might need to play the survival game during daylight as well, assuming they're not actively hunting during the day as well, of course. Right, right. So, so yes, a slit pupil is great for, for uh, being highly adaptable to whatever the light situation is, but the directional orientation of the slit depends more on your ecological niche, like you were talking about earlier. So again, yeah, the grazing herbivores like horses, they will have horizontal slits to help them keep a panoramic view of the environment and watch for movement or predators approaching. But uh, another interesting finding of the authors here, these pupil orientations for herbivores only work if the animal keeps the pupil parallel to the horizon. And grazing herbivores actually spend much of their time with their heads bent down to the ground, eating grass. Hmm. So what gives there? Well, the researchers looked into this and they found that, in fact, when horses bend down to graze, they rotate their eyes within the sockets to keep the pupils parallel to the horizon. Hmm. And Martin Banks in that NPR article, he gives a quote pointing out that this is weird because the eyes have to rotate in opposite directions. You know, think about the eyes on opposite sides of the head. Oh, yeah. Uh, and apparently th- they couldn't find any references to anybody ever writing about this before, which is funny given how much time people spend around horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so so that's what horses do. When they bend down to the grass, their eyes swivel in the sockets to maintain the pupil slit as parallel to the horizon. Wow, this is another one of those. And I know we've, we've talked about this before and you know, imagining uh, you know, alien life forms and so forth, uh, but also getting into just ideas of consciousness, like how much of our... Our understanding of ourselves and the world seems to come down to to how we view the world and how we focus attention, um, mm. and uh, and yeah, to try and, and put yourself in the mindset of of a mind that is that, that perceives the world in this manner that uh, you know that, that has eyes that are always uh, focused on the horizon uh, in order to get this panoramic view of of all the potential threats that could be interfering with their feeding. One last funny note that was in that NPR coverage of this paper was about uh, depictions of dinosaurs in Jurassic World and other mm-hmm. movies. So, you know, you've got this some kind of giga predator dinosaur. It's just like the ultimate. Uh, what did they call it in Jurassic World? It was like the uh, uh, the killer Rex or something. Oh, this is the this is the Hannibal Lecter one. Yeah. Killimus Maximus. Up? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, they talk about the temptation to depict predators like this with with vertical slits for eyes because i think we correctly detect that as a predatory trait you look at a crocodile's eyes it's got these creepy vertical slits and that makes sense because a crocodile is an ambush predator that operates low to the ground mm-hmm. but they say actually uh this you know the 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 Kilimus maximus dinosaur is a, is an active predator and it's very tall so it would probably have round pupils like ours ah uh. And the the funny thing is you can't even use the frog excuse. Like oftentimes that is used to excuse sort of stuck in the mud depictions of dinosaurs in the Jurassic uh, Park, Jurassic, Jurassic World movies. They'll say, well, you have to remember they also used frog DNA. So um, right. the fact that they don't have feathers, that has to do with the frog DNA. But if, if it was the frog DNA, then perhaps they would all have heart-shaped pupils depending oh. on the type of frogs that were used, right? Yeah, and, and that brings us back to the next thing, which is, so we, we were talking about the orientations of slit-shaped pupils versus round pupils in uh, terrestrial vertebrates. But when you start looking at the eyes uh, or the pupils of animals that live in the water, you start to see even weirder shapes uh, in uh, dolphins and cuttlefish and all kinds of things have these strangely shaped pupils. 
Yeah, the the cuttlefish pupil especially is very fascinating to look at. Definitely look up a picture of it uh, if you're you're not picturing it right now. It looks like this wavy W. It looks kind of like uh, you know the face on the Pringles can. Is that Mr. Pringles, Doctor Pringles? I can't remember. Doctor Doctor Pringles, Pringles. man. (laughs) Which is it, Governor Pringles? Governor Pringles, yeah. Sheriff Senator Pringles, yes. Senator Walter K. Pringles. He has a mustache, and um, under under certain light conditions, the cuttlefish eye looks like that mustache, in my opinion. Uh, but the interesting thing is that yes, it has the cuttlefish eye has this signature W shape in bright light, but it's actually circular in low light. Mm. Uh, according to the W shaped pupil in cuttlefish by Mathger et al. published in Vision Research in 2013, the two main theories. Um, were that the the shape is either for camouflage, uh, so it's just it has a weird pupil because it it's doing all sorts of strange things with its cro- uh, chromatophores to you know to change its uh, its appearance and therefore it has you know strange things going on in its eye as well, uh, or that it has to do with distance calculations. It's coming down to some of the same uh, factors that that uh, we just discussed uh, in terms of uh, vertical um, and horizontal pupils. But uh, in this case, the researchers proposed that the W-shaped pupil might aid in balancing out the vertically uneven light field of its natural habitat. Hmm, okay. Yeah. So here's a quote from, from that paper. Quote, while an animal's retina can deal with a wide range of light intensities in one scene, reducing this range would limit the need for rapid local adaptation during vertical gaze shifts. Since cuttlefish do not have an instant 360 field of view, they must rely on gaze shifts to provide them with the complete view of the surrounding world. Okay, so they have to move their eyes to look around them. Right. And, you know, in this, we have to think about light in the aquatic world, you know, where, uh, you know, the the ever-present darkness of the depths and then the periodic uh, light-filled realm of the the, the upper depths. And if you're something like cuttlefish, you're having to to navigate both. And it kind of comes down to some of the ideas we're discussing with with, with low-to-the-ground predators, you know, you, you have to sort of be a uh, be adaptable to to both realms, but in this case, you need to be able to uh, to simultaneously deal with the light and the darkness. Mm. By the way, uh, c- coming out of the water for a second, the gecko pupil uh, I was reading about essentially is a vertical pupil, aiding in a nocturnal ambush predator's lifestyle. Uh, but it does look really cool, and they are uh, apparently really incredible hunting eyes, according to some of the articles that I looked at. Um, but then, oh, another aquatic eye of note is the dolphin pupil. Um, and it's, it's interesting that while it, re- it resembles a horseshoe or crescent when it's fully dilated, it constricts down to two tiny openings uh, that are sometimes referred to as a double pupil. Um, and uh, this apparently comes down to the fact that the, 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 eye, the pupil shape here with dolphins has to do with dolphins are noted for having exceptional vision both in and out of the water. Uh, they, they, you know, they're, 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 they're able to, to position their bodies so that they're gazing out of the, the water and uh, they have great vision in that circumstance as well. But I included a photograph here for you, Joe, and I encourage uh, listeners to look this up as well. Uh, the first picture shows the horseshoe pupil and then the second picture shows the double pupil uh, when everything's fully constricted. Yeah, it does look amazing. 
Though if you do look up scientific diagrams of the eye, mm-hmm. I think what these are uh, explaining that's normally happening is uh, like that the the sort of horseshoe or, or U-shaped uh, pupil, when it constricts, what it actually constricts down to is something that looks kind of like two earbuds connected by a wire, and the wire yes. is just very narrow. Yes, yes. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, you're talking about mythic figures with strange eyes, and now we've, t- we've talked uh, about a number of different uh, real-life organisms that have uh, some sort of interesting eyes going on. Uh, is, is it possible that, that, uh, that the mythmakers and the storytellers of old were inspired by eyes they saw in nature? And I, I, I didn't really find anybody talking about this. I mean, outside of, yes, if you're watching some sort of modern show and reptile people show up and they have vertical slits in their eyeballs, yes, obviously somebody decided let's give them reptile eyes. Um, Though, again, if they're reptile people, I mean, if they're like, I don't know, five, six feet tall or something, they should probably have round eyes. But what if they what if they crawl around on their bellies all the time? That's how they hunt. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Then know. then yeah, vertical slits, go for it. <laughs> but I was thinking, okay, the cuttlefish has this amazing looking eye. Um, any possibility there? Well, uh, I mean, the, the common or European cuttlefish can be found in Irish waters, and cuttlefish shells or cuttlefish bones were used as ornaments um, uh, by the Celts, according to D.J. Conway in the book Celtic Magic. Uh, Ireland, uh, however, is famously light on reptile species, so I don't think uh, geckos would have had an impact on any literary motifs. And, and ultimately, I don't think anybody was pulling up any cuttlefish and and uh, checking out their their eyeballs either. Or you know, I've, I found nothing to suggest that. But uh, my mind went there, so I thought I'd mention it uh, to everybody. You know, I think this show is a safe place to admit research dead ends. Sometimes we, <laughs> we just got to do that. Yeah. Unless there's a paper out there I'm missing. And if so, as always, if there's something we've missed, write in and let us know. Uh, we would love to be corrected. Well, should we tighten the sphincter, constrict the pupil on this one? That's right. Uh, that's, what, that's what we should do. We should limit the light coming in at this point. Um, but uh, we'd love to hear from everyone out there. If there are particular mythic figures, literary figures, pop culture examples of of multi-pupiled, multi-irised, multi-lobed eyes, uh, write in and let us know about them. Send some pictures if, if they exist. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Likewise, if there are other, you know, we, we really only spent a little bit of time here with the animal world. Uh, there's so many fascinating animal eyes out there. Uh, so if there are examples that you're particularly fond of, write in, let us know. Uh, and then, of course, there are other areas of this uh, that we've just touched on in these two episodes that we could easily come back and discuss more about, like, uh, oh, the, the evil eye, we, as we were discussing, like that could be its own uh, deep dive on the show. No doubt. All right. In the meantime, if you would like to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, it publishes every Tuesday and Thursday uh, core episodes in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We have uh, listener mail episodes on Monday, short form artifact or monster fact episodes on Wednesday. And on Friday, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a strange motion picture. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you.
Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.